What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fortell. We are thankfully done with Halloween. I don't have to Tomb Raid anymore. I was original recipe Lara Croft for the second time. And I, I don't know what it is about me or gay men that are so into this character. She she clearly has an anthropology degree. So maybe that speaks to us. I have nothing, I have. I have no answer. I don't know. I can't explain it. Well, to be fair, Lewis, you have about three Halloween costumes that you have cycled through through the 10 years I've known you. Yeah. No, I believe it should be like swimsuits. You just own like a couple and then we – they're like characters in your repertoire. You bring them back and we're thrilled to see them. Anyway, we are very excited to have a co-host join us this week. I've had the pleasure of being on – her podcast um, for Colored Nerds. Uh, I've been on The Nod. Uh, and now she is the new host of It's Been a Minute on NPR. Welcome to Keep It, Brittany Luce. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Y'all don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> We're not nerds at all, though, so I don't even know why you would be excited about that. In fact, I'm insulted. <laughs> You do have the colored part down, though, Lewis. Oh, yeah. yeah. The I color thinking, is unfortunately like, well, gray-pink. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is exciting because we just had um, Sam Sanders on, and I feel like, you know, he just passed the torch to you with um, It's Been a Minute, which mm-hmm. Lewis and I have both been on in the past. So this feels like an entire, like, podcast cinematic universe. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. It's funny because, like, Literally also Sam's, I mean, he's hosting Intuit at Vulture, but also he has another show, Vibe Check, that was like, like he and his co-host from Vibe Check were literally just on For Colored Nerds like a month ago. So it's just like, I'm like, is it, I'm like, is it a multiverse or (laughs) does, do all black people in media know each other? What is it? (laughs) I think it's both. (laughs) (laughs) Um... We are very excited to get into our Halloween postmortem, uh, which the, I guess that's a pun, postmortem. Yeah, I'll allow Halloween. it. <laughs> Among pun-styled yeah. things from you, I'm going to allow it. Thank you, thank you. Um, we're gonna get into Halloween costumes and things in a bit. We're gonna talk about um, the long-awaited return of Rihanna. Uh, what we think about that. So um, we also have a interview. Lewis and I chat with Nina Haas, uh, who is fantastic opposite Kate Blanchett in Tar. When real talent wanders its way into this Zoom, I, I mean, like, my instinct is to feel bad for them. Like, oh, no, they're going to realize we're, you know, <laughs> nerds. I mean, th- the word has come up again. But, uh, man, is she uh, fabulous. And, of course, fabulous in Tar. You know... You could always tell a real talent is on this podcast when Hedda Gabler gets brought up. 
Yeah, woof. And I, and I and I brought her up like she was, you know, Mariah Carey ringing in the holiday season. So get ready. Um, and also, um, before we get started, we are reminding our listeners that this week is very important because it is the final few days leading up to Election Day. Um, what some people call GOTV, get out the vote. And let me tell you, it took me an embarrassing long time as an adult to realize what GOTV meant. Same. I thought it was a channel. I thought it was like Revolt or something <laughs> like that, like back in the day. I was like, I don't get that one, I don't think. Yeah, it seems like a deep in the dial channel, like near Reels channel. Yeah, I was I was definitely like, I, and I knew what Get Out the Vote was. I was just like, hmm, sounds eerily like Go TV. I don't, but I'm not seeing the overlap. <laughs> Ira, what is your voting plan? Uh, my voting plan is last minute voting in person because I am I've been back and forth from New York to LA so often um that I don't sure. even know where my voting booklet is. So I'm gonna do it in person. I'm doing it in person. Mm. Tommy Vitor is going to physically pick you up and remove you from the crooked universe for saying such nonsense. <laughs> I've got my voting guide. I know who I'm voting for, but I'm going to do it in person. And honestly, there's something about going to vote at the um, middle school by my apartment and saying hi to the people working and getting the nice sticker um, and, and walking mm-hmm. out into the crisp November weather in L.A. No, I mean, the last time I went to vote in person a couple months ago in August, um, I saw Eric Adams. So um, outside of the club. I'm sorry. Your appearance outside of the club. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, I mean, you never know what you're going to get when you go vote in person. That's true. I just want to say on this topic, somebody I know brought their kid to a birthday party recently here in L.A. and Elon Musk was there. How about that? Just he's bone chillingly just walking around somewhere, and you can just see him. It's really shocking. <laughs> I will say the one weird thing about Elon taking over Twitter is that he's reminding me a lot like Jack when Jack was running Twitter. Like, would Jack would be like a nerd and respond to people's tweets for some damn reason? Um, I w- it it made perfect sense for Elon Musk to be responding to Stephen King saying when Stephen King said ah twenty dollars for a verification is maybe a bit too much and Elon's like well we have to make money would you pay eight dollars Stephen King what a loser <laughs> doing his little yeah Oliver act um, uh, no on that front of course he's responding to the celebrity who is basically calling him uncool like it's only egotistical you know that makes sense that he would respond to that. Anyway, I'm getting into my voting plan, which is I have my booklet right next to me and it has the sticker on it that I'm not peeling off until I actually do the work, but I'm going to go run it to the booth right down the street, which is, I believe also at a middle school. Uh, and, uh, it feels, you know, I'm like a millennial pardon me. I'm Gen Z. I don't understand putting things in the mail. So I have to go walk to uh, a station and drop it off. I'm 21 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, we shared our voting plan with you all. And remember that Election Day is coming right around the corner. So make a plan. Figure out who you're voting for. And go to votesaveamerica.com slash volunteer. We can find out more information about what you can do in your area. And if you live in Los Angeles, 
please do not follow Gwyneth Paltrow's voting guide that she put on Instagram. Ugh. She should be forced to act again so she doesn't have the time to make these posts. I'm telling you, get into the Talented Mr. Ripley sequel. All right, we will be right back with more Keep It. Rihanna has returned to the music industry with Lift Me Up, the lead single on the soundtrack to Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And while the single was highly anticipated... Um, I am no longer anticipating. <laughs> you, the anticipation period is over. We have done it. It was lovely while it lasted, and now we're moving on. I thought it was pretty. I actually concur. I think there's something engrossing about the song. I As- don't know about engrossing. I I think it's pretty. Um, and I, but I will say, like, I listened to it in the morning, and I forgot about it by the evening. I forgot. I forgot she put out a song. I forgot what the song was. I forgot how it sounded. I forgot the name. Um, <laughs> I, I try. I'm trying to be respectful and thinking about it because I know she's like, oh, I did it for Chadwick Boseman, and I adored him, and so I'm like, you know, that's a lovely thing to do for somebody. But taking that apart, I don't know. If, I don't know if it was like it didn't move me to see the movie. It didn't move me to like want to listen to the song again. You know. It's lovely. It feels like it's a tribute to Chadwick Boseman, but also I feel like mm-hmm. sing it at a memorial or something at you know it, as the lead thing to a movie. And maybe it's going to be different yes. when it rolls over the credits. And I'm sad. And I've heard the movie is very stirring. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of the responses from people defending it, knee jerk, were it's a tribute. You know, like what are you expecting from it? And Music history is full of tributes to people who have passed, and those songs sound great. Candle in the Wind, for instance. (laughs) I was just going to say Candle in the Wind. Honestly, even like Diddy's only, like Diddy's best song. (laughs) Yes, I'll be missing you. you. Like a tribute to Biggie. It's a great song. It's a great I th- song. I also feel like another thing people are saying to defend this is, oh, well, it's supposed to be a lullaby. To which, were we all out here begging for lullabies? I mean, She actually I- said, <laughs> to fact check, Rihanna said, I'm not going to make y'all wait all this time and then come back with a lullaby. And what did she do? Right. She here do? it is. Lulling us. Right. Uh, are we not used to her lying to us? Uh, that's true. <laughs> she does lie constantly. But I'm just saying, let's say there was a Billboard Hot 100 lullabies chart i feel like it would still come in at number nine like people are not thrilled about it um secondly it also feels to me like the end of a song not an entire song which i I, think is the main problem i think i agree there's like i mean this is the thing rihanna is kind of in a way a pop ballad princess so i don't think it's strange that the song has a lullaby quality I don't think it's strange that the song is not upbeat. I saw these tweets where people are like, y'all want Rihanna to do a tribute to Chadwick Boseman that sounded like, you know, wild thoughts. And I'm like, no, (laughs) what I, I wanted was something maybe a little bit, um, you know, you mentioned Ira that the film has been said to be stirring. Like, I think that diamond, you know what I'm saying? Like diamonds, it's a, that's a stirring, stirring Mm. song. Um, And I think that like, I don't know. I just feel like there was a, a piece of the song missing, like the bridge or like, I just, I didn't feel like it built to anything. I think it, it, it's pretty as it is. And I love Thames and, you know, I'm glad that she wrote the song. Um, I'm happy for her. I love to see her success, but I just feel like from both of these artists, 
for a movie such as this huge occasion, this is a tribute to Chadwick Boseman, beloved actor, who's not going to be in the sequel. It just is so strange to me that they made a song with no, you know what I mean? Like there's no- No oomph. There's no no oomph. There's, there's, and also pre this, people were excited for this song because we want Rihanna on the red carpet at the Oscars. You know, we want Mm. her to shut down the red carpet. And this doesn't even feel like a song that would be nominated for an Oscar. You know, like it's, it's barely even Skyfall. You took, literally, you took the words out of my head. I was thinking like Skyfall, that is a great, Skyfall by Adele, great Bond song and super into it. That is one, I don't know. It's kind of, that when I think about like a big blockbuster film ballad, like a Skyfall or, you know, that sort of thing, I feel like you just got to go big. You've got to be Shirley Bassey. You've got to mm-hmm. be a little bit like, not to say that Adele herself is cheesy, but the, I think she was channeling some of like that 50s, 60s flair with Skyfall um, in like a way that I think was like cheesy in a good way. I feel like you kind of have to go for it a little bit. Like, I don't know. I mean, think about like, okay, Prince of Egypt, baby, when you believe. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I just feel like Rihanna should have gone in that sort of direction. I think you had, I don't know if you can play it pretty and cool when you're doing like an Oscar winning type of ballad for a film. Also, it's strange because we're in a year where it's a very star studded cast of potential nominees in that world where like Lady Gaga might get in for Hold My Hand. Another song where it's like, what? There's a missing element here. It's like they forgot to make an entire song. They like put down (laughs) 75% of it and then, you know what it sounds like to me? You know the famous story of um, Prince made When Doves Cry and then he's like, what's the last thing I can do to make this magical? And he took out the bass line and then somehow it became more amazing. Mm. This, it feels like they took something out, thought it was better and in accidentally they deleted most of the song (laughs) the rest of the song is on lana del rey's computer actually (laughs) um (laughs) it's just missing now um speaking of hold my hand too like if that's supposed to be in the soundtrack category i that song isn't giving either no Mm. i have friends who claim that that's like the most emotional part of the movie it's right at the end uh there's but we his relationship tom cruise's relationship with miles teller is solidified before Mm -hmm. that he you know reunites with val kilmer in the movie and it sort of culminates with that song meanwhile even just the words hold my hand like hootie did that like we don't need to revisit that it is (laughs) it is not the most emotional part of that movie either like you get to the end of the movie and you know if you're a man especially a man who loves tom cruise like me um you're already crying oh, from okay. him, you know, reuniting with with Miles Teller. What? But then the end feels like a coda. And then what? He walks up to. He's there at the car, and then you just hear Lady Gaga wailing, <laughs> "Hold my hand, hold my hand." And I'm like, "This is this is actually taking me out of the film <laughs> and out of the theater." <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's just like these... I don't know if movie soundtracks are hitting the way that they used to hit. I feel like... I mean, they always have been... Not always, but I would say um, at least for the last 30, maybe 40 years, they've been used as like a promotional tool. But now sometimes it feels a little too naked, if that makes sense. Like, I mean... Okay. Like, even like <laughs> Will Smith's Men in Black song, again, has a specific cheesiness to it. 
it obviously was a marketing ploy. He knew that he was a famous rapper, I guess, at that time. And he knew he wanted to be Mr. Fourth of July. But there's still like, um, it still feels like a complete song, whether you love it or whether you hate it. It still feels like a complete song. And I think that it absolutely hits with like the 10-year-olds they were trying to reach who wanted to see Men in Black. Whereas like, I don't know, I think that for a film like Black Panther, um, which kind of bills itself as... I think a a lot smarter and more textured than your average superhero movie. You kind of want to have a more textured ballad to go with it. Or even like I had, okay, I never saw Top Gun. I never also I realized recently I've only I'm just now starting to watch Tom Cruise movies. He just wasn't really a part of my life until three months ago. <laughs> and so I went in to see Top this Top Gun 2, like with knowing nothing. I left in tears. I didn't know any of the references. I didn't know who they were referring to. I'm glad that they repeated everything so much for people like me because I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Uh, but <laughs> by the end, I was crying. I felt like that movie was satisfying in every single way. And then, like you said, we get to the very end. And yet, you know, and then we have Lady Gaga, who, by the way, hair, body, face. Why did you do that? I mean, the entire, the, the entire Star is Born yes. soundtrack had me in a chokehold. I was getting up every day at six o'clock in the morning and playing it from my phone in the bed, seeing in my husband's face, he was so disturbed. (laughs) But like, that's the kind of, that's what I'm expecting from Gaga when she's on the soundtrack. And I kind of wish to have such a, to have a film that was so satisfying in every other way. I wish that Gaga had a satisfying song to go with it, you know? And she tried to oversing it into being a better song too, which mm. only pointed out where it was lacking. And I mean, <laughs> God, God love the girl. I mean, like if if Lady Gaga didn't exist, there would be like an ozone layer sized hole in popular culture. I really think That's she's important just in the, the the breadth of strange material of of unbelievable earworm she's given us, but just not that song. I do, and mm. also it's like again, there have been some bad songs that have won Oscars in recent years. You know, like we had like the writings on the wall. Uh, don't no time to die is fine. But like, uh, like does anybody really even know that her song that won? you know? So I feel like the category is like dripping lately. Does anyone actually know her songs or does she just appear at award shows? Right. Yes. <laughs> inexplicably, inexplicably walking away with an award like Carmen San Diego. Like, how did you get in here? But you know what though? Like, but maybe, but like kind of for me, I'm like, but I don't know, like that's kind of the best career to have. Like nobody, everyone's like, who is Isn't she? It? Where did she get, how did she get here? I've never heard her sing. I've never heard her speak. And then uh, look out five years, this girl will probably have it. You got, and nobody will know not one song. That's the goal. <laughs> she truly will. I feel like I went to Camp Flogna a few years ago. Uh-huh. And honestly, I stopped over at her set. And it was really good. She knows how to put on a fucking live show. Mm-hmm. I didn't know a single song. <laughs> but I was, I, but I was like, I was feeling it. Mm-hmm. You know? So shout out to her. Um Going back to what Lewis was saying about even like the Men in Black or something, that is what a movie soundtrack is supposed to be, though. It's a promotional tool, but also it's supposed to be a thing where 20 years later, we whether or not you've seen the movie, you know the movie because you know the song that was in it, you know? Exactly. Like, you know, like I, I, I can still hear um, Hero from... Um, Spider-Man, Chad Kroger's oh, hero. I was, you know? I was bumping that the other night. I was like, not me listening to Nickelback in the bed. Like, <laughs> that song is good. That song is good. Yeah, it's a really good song. And it's, 
something that needs to connect you to just the images um, that are in a film. I mean, you know the soundtrack era isn't really here anymore when you don't have a music video that intersperses clips from the movie with the video. Like, are you that somebody or try again? Um, Aaliyah's two of her best songs, which were soundtrack entries. And Mm -hmm. by the way, I just want to say literally every time, and this song is still everywhere. I I feel like the... Uh, peak years of it being ironically played everywhere are over, but I still hear it. Smash Mouth's All Star. When I hear that song, I am immediately zapped to the video from Mystery, Mystery Men. Right. Where yes, and I'm I'm telling you, I know Janine Garofalo thinks that's a curse, but <laughs> her image comes to mind every time I hear that fucking song. And and also like Wes Studi, what a weird cast. Um, <laughs> But, like, that is successful marketing. Like, my God. And that, that also is from the TRL era where we were, like, fixed on watching music videos, not just one time, but 70 times. Mm. Mm. Shout time. out, though, to a song that is, the entire video is Mystery Men, and it came from that soundtrack. But if you ask most people what movie <laughs> um, that song is from, they would say Shrek. <laughs> right. Yes. I didn't think about that. It's absolutely true. <laughs> Double duty. Okay. Um, my question, and I was getting into a debate with a friend about this this weekend. Do you prefer a movie soundtrack where it's like commission? These are all new songs for it. Or do you prefer a film where it's like the, the director has crafted jukebox songs that like jukebox, like jukebox something, or, you know, like a Tarantino film, you know, where like Mm -hmm. all the songs on that are specifically what was inspiring the director each scene. They're all in the scenes, et cetera. Or do you want just a a commission thing where it's, you know, Diddy gathered a bunch of people and we're going to make songs based on the feel of the movie, barely based on the feel. That's a really good question. Well, I think that, okay. I admire the ambition of commissioned music. Because I think that like when it like, even if it doesn't go well, you kind of like you can usually get a couple interesting songs out of it. But when it does go well, it goes so well. Um, However, I think I do kind of prefer to listen to most frequently sort of the jukebox one. Like also I think about a film like Forrest Gump, like the Forrest Gump soundtrack, Mm -hmm. which like is straight up jukebox, like straight up, just like some of the most popular music in America from like the forties through like the eighties. Um, and I, I think that like it, they do such a good job of placing you back in the film. Um, well, when it suits, I mean, there's also certain, like I think about like Saturday night fever. Oh, sure. I mean, for, mm. I mean the Bee Gees, first of all, like, who, who, Literally. I'm sorry, I said this before to Ira. Who gave these white men the right? Why is it so good? I mean, I'm saying, <laughs> how did this happen? Like, not me. I mean, literally, I listen to them all the time and cry um, because their voices are so beautiful. Like, Luscious. that to me is almost like, I actually don't remember. I'm sure I learned it watching the, um, the Bee Gees documentary on HBO. But I don't even remember whether it was commissioned or whether they base stuff in the film around music that they had already made. But like, I kind of think that the ultimate film soundtrack is when you kind of can't tell, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of can't tell whether it was commissioned or whether um, 
it was just like exactly what was going to work perfectly for the film at that time. So like, again, going back to the A Star is Born soundtrack, obviously those were commissioned because they had to be worked into the film. But I mean, like some of my favorite Lady Gaga songs, some of my favorite Lady Gaga performances, vocal performances come from that soundtrack. So technically they're commissioned, but also it does like, I don't know, it does still kind of feel jukeboxy in a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also like have a, a, a deep affection for musicals and I recently, more recently begun to understand animated movies. I was never really that into cartoons as a child. And so like as an adult, I really couldn't get into them. But when I saw mm-hmm. Coco, I flooded the theater with tears, first of all. And then second of all, um, I began singing Remember Me or Recuerdame, both in English and in Spanish every single day, first thing in the morning. I don't I, I don't know how I got married after that, actually. I'm really <laughs> I got proposed to a year later. Um, so that's a tip for ladies out there. Um, <laughs> Coco Centric will get it done. Um, but yeah, I kind of think it can work best when, when it's like, uh, when it's commissioned, but it still feels like with, very within the world of the film, like a super fly or something like that. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, um, favorite movie soundtracks, from all of us, go as right. a last. I'll oh throw it God. down but quickly. Um, I will say Magnolia, which I've brought up recently on this podcast. But mm-hmm. uh, obviously, Paul Thomas Anderson wrote the movie inspired by the music of Amy Mann. She ended up writing more songs in turn for it. Used some songs that were like lying around on an album that uh, she couldn't get out, basically, until she bought back the masters and released it herself. But anyway, um, I-, I just love that the dryness of her emotional songwriting and also the humor in her emotional songwriting. Like you just believe people when they're a little bit funny, like it, it, it really makes the emotional heft of the song feel like it really has sat with them, that they have a sensibility about it. That can be a little bit sarcastic or acerbic. I will say there's a caveat here. There's a line in the song deathly that kicks it off that uh, goes, now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing each other again? And he literally uses that line in the movie and I have to tell you, it's the cringeworthiest part of the movie because song lyrics do belong in songs. Like it's actually hard in a way to <laughs> criticize when a, when a, when a like a song lyric is quote unquote over the top because well you're not supposed to say it literally also. So I felt like that was actually instructional to me. Like song lyrics can be great, but they're contained in the space they are for a reason. Don't go put them in movies. Mm. I think um, that's a really 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 excellent question. Um, I think that my favorite, like as in the one that I've probably listened to the most in my life, um, I mean, probably number one is going to be probably the original Lion King soundtrack. Um, I wore that completely the fuck out as a child. And then as a teen into my adult years, actually the about a boy soundtrack from like the film with, um, Hugh Grant, I'm a big badly drawn boy fan. I am the only badly drawn boy fan I know, unfortunately, also. And so I've never been to any of his concerts or anything like that. But um, I think that one was probably commissioned. Like he there's a lot of really great instrumental tracks that that like you hear at really beautiful, crucial points throughout the movie. And I think it's a really good example of how like digital production, like digital music production, um, had a really strong aesthetic in the late. 90s early 2000s that worked really well um like like laid with traditional like string and woodwind instruments um so if you haven't seen the movie it's actually a pretty good movie i'm a big fan i think it's one of Hugh grant's best performances and also you get a young nicholas holt and obviously obviously um you get the queen in that film as well 
Um, but I think that uh, the soundtrack is also like a lovely surprise. And if you, even if you're not super into Badly Drawn Boy, <laughs> I think it's a really good film soundtrack. I love About a Boy. And I will say that like, it made no sense for me, um, sophomore in high school, um, <laughs> right. going to see this movie and like having um, intense emotions about Hugh Grant raising this boy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, a film with daddy issues will always get me. Um, anyway, I could say for me, favorite is, you know, like something like Waiting to Exhale is like always like mm. an all time oh, classic. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, you said Paul Thomas Anderson, and I routinely listen to the Boogie Night soundtrack. Oh, well, the year is 1977. That's when all the good stuff came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the songs in that. Um, yeah, Best of My Love of the Emotions. Classics of the, yeah, mm-hmm. Best of My Love. And... Um, Spill the wine. Yes. Oh my god, it's such a key scene in the film too. Yeah. Yeah. Um really really and yes, of course, best of my love like it it sh- it reminds you too of the film, that sweeping tracking shot um of the club that opens the movie and just perfect soundtrack. With Roller so. Girl zooming yeah. on through everything. Yeah. So good. Yeah, our favorite keep it guest, Heather Graham. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Yeah, no, but you're right. This this conversation does have me nostalgic, though. It does feel like a bit of a lost art to just compile the correct songs from a movie that really summon different scenes from the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, shout out to Empire Records. Sorry. Shout I'm out Empire out Records. Too. Yeah. You know, people in their late 40s now will, you know, will never shut up about that movie. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> oh, Same vein, Stealing Beauty soundtrack I really like, too. That has mm. a little bit of what's fair on it. Mm, yeah. All right. When we are back, Lewis and I chat with Nina Haas about tar and much more. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see... Footprints in the sand. That was when I carried you in my barefoot dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to barefoot dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, barefoot dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. 
I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today is a German film actress who is truly an icon, uh, and we are excited to talk to her about her uh, some of her best work, and that includes Barbara, includes Phoenix. Um, you know her from Homeland, and most recently, Tar, opposite Kate Blanchett. Um, we're very excited to chat with Nina Haas today on Keep It. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the icon. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, you've, <laughs> you've, you've earned it. You've earned it, okay? <laughs> thank you very much. Nina, thank you for being here. And I have to say, can you believe you are in this movie? And can you believe, I mean, just not that you don't, not that you're not amazing in it. You are absolutely amazing in it. I can't think of a movie in recent memory that sits on my brain like this movie does. I like can't lose it. I can't. It's it's not even that I'm confounded about what I think about it. It just it just lingers so much. Like the feel of the movie is so strong. You guys are all so virtuosic in it. And I was wondering what you think it is about this movie that doesn't leave people's heads. You know, I have the same experience with working having read the script having worked on the film and then having seen the film now three times. And I still want to watch it again because I still think, even though I have been part of that whole process, I've missed something. <laughs> There's still something else I can explore. And I think that is the, the, the great 
force of this film in a way that it opens a room for conversation. It makes you think, it makes you rethink your own judgment about several topics that float around us right now. And um, certainly about power abuse, but also about how, what does it mean to lead, to lead an institution, to be a creative while trying to change the institution maybe can you still be a creative if you come to a certain point in your life like Tai where you've kind of reached everything you could be longing for and you're working on your legacy a legacy are you still able to be creative so it's 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 about so many things how to treat people how to love, how to live, you know, it touches so many things in such a beautiful, unjudgmental way. And on top of this, it's very intense. And it's, uh, there's so many things coming at you. And the great thing is that I have the feeling, also when I talk about people who have seen the film, that they're engaged so they want to know more about it. It's not that they feel like, oh, my God, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. It's about classical music. I don't know anything about orchestra. No, you you are taking into this world and you want to learn more about it. And that, of course, also has a lot to do with the intensity of Kate's performance. And uh, you're just fascinated by it. So, you know, you want, you want to follow her uh, into this world and into her world. So I, yeah, that's, I must say, I feel the same and I can't quite believe that I have a part in this. It's, it's really, because I myself feel sometimes like an audience um, still exploring it. Well, I have to wonder, um, you, you know, being such a uh, prolific German actress, you know, and you've shot many things in Berlin. Um, what was it like having, a bulk of this film taking place sort of, you know, on your turf, as it were. Yeah, it helped me. It helped me for Sharon, which is the character I play. So I am the wife uh, of Tar, of the character that Kate plays. And um, for me, that was crucial that she, <laughs> Tar is in Sharon's world. So Sharon has her family in Berlin. She can speak the language perfectly she is good friends with all of the orchestra members she has been there for much longer than than kate did and i had that helped me a lot of of just for having a feeling for where sharon comes from and then i had the feeling that it kind of rubs off the film you see berlin you see you feel it's it's somewhere other than you know it's not Atlanta or you know in New York or it's it's Berlin. It, the the colors, the the way it's shot, the sometimes static, you know, and all these things. I was really uh, um, surprised in a good way when I saw the film for the first time, and I thought, oh, there's a lot of Berlin has rubbed off on on Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I left the film with some friends and I just want to say each of them who hadn't been to Berlin before were like, they wanted to go and they wanted, they wanted that apartment. Yes, Both yes, apartments, yes, me too. Even, even, oh even, even God. Tars, um, you know, bachelor pad. They wanted that one too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that was fabulous as well because this is really an apartment. 
it's uh, it, it's the way you see it in the film. That's how it exists. It's beautifully, you know, pieces put together through, I don't know, many, many years of that beautiful couple that gave us this apartment to shoot in. And for, so for us as a couple, it felt really lived in. You felt at home. You uh, That was very special. And every time we all came in, we were all like, oh, my God. This is so beautiful. And at the same time, of course, also a bit gloomy if you light it in the right way. You know, it's, it has everything. It can be a very lonely space and a very cozy, comfortable space. Yeah. Uh, part of the mystique of the movie is your relationship with Tar. And we as the audience are figuring out that there's a lot of genuine affection there. You're the first violin. She's the got winning maestro but also there's something transactional about your relationship we're figuring out like uh, you know what are you getting from it what's she getting from it and i have to wonder how much of this is something you sorted out in rehearsal and is rehearsing with kate blanchett a particular uh vortex that you fall into i mean I, you, I imagine she is thrilled to meet someone like you who is you know as much a genius as she is I think we were both so thrilled to be able to work with each other because I am fascinated with her work and always have been. I admire uh, her a lot uh, um, as an actor. And uh, so it was for me, I was very curious to see how how we could dance uh, with each other. And it was just very, she used the word actually once and I think it, it's, it describes it very well. It had some kind of, it was effortless. So it's just where, you know, you're prepared, you've asked the questions, you you discuss things. We, we also kind of learned, we had played similar, because I'm also a stage actress, so I had played Hedda Gabler, I did Medea, she mm. did Elektra, she did uh, Groß und Klein, which is really a very German play uh, in Australia. And I did the same, it's a fantastic, fantastic character in there, Lotte who is somewhat, uh, you know, someone who believes in humanity and, and gets so terribly d disappointed by, by humans. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a wonderful character. So we, we knew we seemed to have the same kind of taste in, in characters and the, and the way we want to portray them and what we're looking for. And to in a way what Tar says also to obliterate your ego and just explore. And so if you have someone like that um, as your partner, you can really just start the scene and see what happens. And that was is, is just phenomenal. And it was, was uh, an incredible experience to work with her. I feel like there should be some sort of convention where just actresses who've played Hedda Gabler can get together and just unpack <laughs> the... <laughs> what must go into something as insane as something like that? I mean, how many people just have like the, the gumption for it? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's a phenomenal female character. And you can read her in so many different ways. Somehow has also something mm. to do with Tar, I would say. It's just someone you don't quite understand why she does the way, she does the things the way she does. And at the same time, Sometimes you're appalled by it, but you're always fascinated. <laughs> so that is, uh, that is also true for Hedda. What do you think the film says about identity, you know, and about who we are as people? It's, um, it, it, to be totally truthful, I didn't really think about any of it. 
um, while doing it. And we didn't really discuss it either because we just explored from scene to scene, what is it uh, if someone feels, is there power abuse going on? Is there something going on that's not quite right? Am I saying something now or do I look the other way or should I always say something? Should I stand up for someone who then doesn't appreciate it? And all these complications, you know, that come along with it. And like you said earlier, Louis, also for Sharon, doesn't she get a lot out of this relationship as well? She is deeply in love, that, that I'm sure of, but she also knows that it forwards her career as well. You know, she gets to do things that she, she couldn't do with another conductor and she, both of them are in a very powerful position. So I don't, I didn't really, I didn't actually think about, oh, it's two females in a powerful position. I just love that Todd wrote the script as if this is the most normal thing that could be. And of course, knowing as the actor that's behind it and watching films and so on, that this little trick, let's say, that it is a female allows the audiences of today to not be so quick in their judgment. You kind of listen a bit longer. You, you want to understand a bit more before you make up your mind about someone and the people around her in this case. I think if it would have been a man portraying this character, it would be much quicker, firstly, in the drawer of the Me Too uh, uh, discussion, um, you know, uh, uh, which is nothing I think that Todd intended. He just really wants to open up a conversation. And that's why we were so interested in being part of it and doing the same in a very careful, nuanced, hitting all the gray zones way, you know. So I think we don't want to give an answer to identity, I, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I had a question about what is it like doing American film press as compared to German film press? And the reason I ask this is, Looking at some of the movies you've done, I mean, you are just somebody who is prepared for anything. And I mean, it gets pretty fucked up sometimes. Whereas I feel like we're kind of not used to, you know, movies really existing outside of boxes we're familiar with over here. So a movie like Tar, which I would consider pretty extreme in certain ways here, pretty extraordinary, must in certain ways to you feel kind of commonplace for you in your career. And I was wondering how... Uh, uh, do America is American press is kind of different than German film press, which I I'm just guessing is more sophisticated than we are. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> <They're not. laughs> calm you down. No, no, it's you know what's what's beautiful with the American press, uh, and I'm not saying it to smooth anyone. So it's just you know what you're talking about, and it's a really it, I always feel you're interested in it and you get something out of it and you want to know more about it and you have references and you've seen things and you, you know, you know, the filmmakers, you know, the people in it, it seems important, you know, and it's a very, it's a very important to me because it's my life. And in Germany, uh, that's sometimes not the case because believe it or not, I think in our culture, theater is still the mm. one art form for actors and directors that is considered the real true art form 
you know, the, the one mm. that is really being taken seriously. And um, so sometimes with film, it's, it's sometimes a bit less intense or serious or it's less about the work, really. It's more about everything around making films, but not so much about the, the content in interviews, not in the reviews. The reviews are sometimes very sophisticated. That's true. But don't worry. <laughs> You're doing very well. I, I love talking to Americans about film. Oh, yeah. what, what a relief for us. No, we should be putting yeah. that on a billboard around no, no. all around America. <laughs> Nina Haas likes us. Yeah. Oh, yes, I do. I do very much so. This, this film reminds me a bit of one of your earlier films which i'm you know i'm sure you've talked so much about um phoenix um but for me it's you know it's about um betrayal from a partner uh and just sort of it's interesting seeing you a decade ago playing that role um where you sort of you know taking a driver's seat in this betrayal but you also you don't really know um how you whether you're a victim or whether or not you are taking control in Phoenix. And I feel that's sort of the same here. Um, do those type of roles sort of interest you? The ones where your your character is just sort of, um, you could play it one of two ways, you know? And the audience isn't really sure um, what you're delivering um, until the end. Yeah, I, I guess something draws me to those characters because... I don't quite understand their motive at the very beginning, but they, there's something mm. intriguing when I read it and I, I want to explore it because, well, in Sharon's case, it's like, why, who's a woman who's with someone like Tar? Who, 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 uh, who and why would you, what, what do you get out of it? And, and in some way you're right. She, she is a victim, but then on the other hand, not at all. You know, and it's for me interesting. It's the same with Phoenix, that it's women that are very open, that are in Phoenix's case very wounded, of course. Uh, in Nelly's case, the character's name, but there comes a certain point where they take their life into their hand again with all the consequences, mm-hmm. and that is a slight parallel with Sharon. That it comes to you, it's it seems like their core is still intact, and so for me to explore how to get to that point where these women say, "Okay, I, I get some of it, and I know now I have to do something else. <laughs> I need to take it into my own hands, and uh, and I take uh, responsibility." for it that um that i find you know it's such a stupid word strong but it's something mm. it's of interest to me let's let's say say it that way well nina i will speak on behalf of ira and say we i hope you are part of the best supporting actress um story coming up in the next few months here i don't know how much an oscar means to someone from germany but we need it. We need to be. We need to be considering you in a serious way. It's just a tremendous performance and an unforgettable one. I thank you for giving it and coming here on Keep It. 
Oh, thank you so much. I won't say anything. We're super superstitious here. <laughs> Coming from the theater. <laughs> 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 Let's see where it takes us. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you for having me. Tar is in theaters now and season three of Jack Ryan, which Nina Haas is also serving in, premieres December 21st. I'm Jessica Reeves, and I've been analyzing and reporting on extremism for the last 10 years, and I have the gray hair to prove it. Subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, for an always eye-opening look inside the daily work of exposing, fighting, and disrupting all facets of extremism. My co-host, Oren Siegel, and I explore this ever-changing landscape and bring you stories of people and places impacted by extremism, those who fight to protect our communities, and those who offer new perspectives. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. For the love of home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Halloween has come and gone, and at this point, it's become a tradition for celebrities to dominate your Instagram feed with their costumes. And let me tell you something. I feel like I've reached maybe a tipping point, a slight tipping point on this, because I feel like, as you know, you have so many friends who put effort into their costumes that they also have to be wearable and you see them out at parties um and it's just fun to see like how much work uh, a friend or someone else has put into a costume Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. i'm not impressed by a celebrity with a lot of money who just pays someone to come and do their makeup and do a photo shoot in their house to put it on instagram like that's not halloween say that say that and additionally, like, yeah, well, here's the thing. When it comes to, like, the Kardashians or the Jenners or whatever, I do feel this is a tax they should pay as celebrities. Like, they should be able to <laughs> deliver on this level. You know, like, Kendall Jenner coming in with a pristine Jesse the Cowgirl outfit. I'm not saying um, it moves me. I'm not saying, like, oh, that really added something to my day. But at the same time, good. You it's are expected. providing for us. Yes, good. <laughs> it's the bare minimum yes it is the bare minimum yes i feel like i at least approved of say 
Lori Harvey doing the Beyonce videos because she dressed up as multiple Beyonce videos and also made little music video segments to go with them too. Like that's taping it a step further. Mm-hmm. No, I 100% agree. I think my favorite celebrity Halloween costume from this year. Um, I mean, there's certain celebrities I will say that like, I think that Lizzo does a really good job because she'll give you different specific looks in different contexts. And I like that. Um, and there's like some that she shared that are more specific to TikTok, some that are general pop culture, some that require photo shoots or videos. I'm into that. Um, giving me a full moment of production. But I, my favorite was Lil Nas X dressing up as Ice <laughs> Spice. <laughs> that was iconic. And I don't know how I all of a sudden became, I think it actually, but I liked the song Munch uh, and I liked so Bikini Bada, but. I think uh, Lil Nas X being in the Ice Spice uh, outfit actually made me an Ice Spice stand. Like, I'm fully (laughs) standing now. Uh, And that is the power of a really good costume. It is a power of a really good costume. And also, like, I I love the fact that his costume didn't – it didn't have all this – it didn't require a bunch of bells and whistles. Um, Like, you see a lot of these celebrity costumes – you know what I'm saying? Like you were just saying it, like they're they got like their hair and makeup and wardrobe teams that are giving them this full look. I felt like his costume could have been repeated like by anybody, could have been copied by anybody. But also mm. I have to say shout out to Ice Spice because it's very hard to be iconic in the literal sense, I would say, when you first come out. Um, to the point where like people can actually identify iconography and the way that you present yourself. I think it's really impressive that somehow this girl has like the red curly Annie, like literal orphan Annie hair. <laughs> like, like that's iconography for her now. And also um the um what is it? Almost like that 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 like black body stocking with all the holes in it. Like mm-hmm. Haley Williams from Paramore were one of those <laughs> at a performance last week. I don't even think trying to emulate Ice Spice, but people saw Haley Williams' red hair and they saw her wearing that body stocking and they were like <laughs> Look at her in her Ice Spice era. But I mean, shout out to Ice Spice because it's kind of amazing that like through the way that she puts herself together, she has like, what, two songs out? She just came out this year um, Mm -hmm. that she was able to, like she's, what's the word I'm thinking of? She's at least, she has enough of like consistency visually that like people could see someone dressed up as Ice Spice and immediately know who she was. I want to bring up, uh, you just brought up Lizzo. Uh, mm-hmm. She and Cardi B both dressed as Marge Simpson, which I saw that. how wild is that? Yeah. That's I don't think I can't think of a, uh, an occasion in recent Halloween history where two people really went as both not just the same thing, but like not that their take is the same, but it's the same jarringness watching them dressed up as Marge Simpson. Right, right. I also appreciated that they both did something different with it. You know, mm. like Car- like Lizzo did the full photo shoot, and then Cardi B um, had the whole um, like she'll always be running around in a house doing something funny too. Right. Yes. Uh, so also, we, we can't go any further without bringing up Heidi Klum, who I believe is like the unholy emperor of Halloween. Where I think she started all this. Yeah, it's like look. She dressed as an earthworm. And by the way, it's not an ordinary earthworm. It's giving the earthworm from James and the Giant Peach the claymation (laughs) version. Uh, So I don't know if you've seen that movie recently. I would describe it as nightmare-inducing. I mean, there's just like... These these rolled doll creatures should not be scurrying up a peach. It's just not right. It's not what God (laughs) wanted. Um, But uh, she looks amazing. She also lies down on a red carpet as an earthworm. 
So she's really committing to like the disgustingness. Like she's a German vermin as it were. Um, (laughs) But it's kind of what you're saying where all I can think about is what a nightmare this must be for the eight assistants she has or whatever. Like, are they calling up Rick Baker to make sure he can, you know, do the eight pounds of makeup on her face and, and body that she needs so that this can be pulled off without a hitch because it is without a hitch, not a single what are those things called on an earthworm segment is out of place. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would also say that I prefer some people's vintage outfits. There was a thread. I like, I love the um, pop culture done 2009 Twitter thread and Instagram. Cause they always have fun throwbacks. And you know, you saw like um, Kim and her, um, that man she used to be married to is um, like Batman and Catwoman costumes. And it's just like that in 2012, like, yeah, it still seemed like they were, you know, like getting regular costumes and going to the club and, you know, being fun, you know, mm. as opposed to now she's dressed up as, um, you know, Mystique from X-Men attacking Marvel. And it's like, okay, but um, what, what what is this for? You know, like, right. are you trying to get a job in a soul? Marvel movie? Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I think that she's trying to get into a Marvel movie. She's like tweeting at them when she posted the photo. Which is like, it's fun, but it's also one of the things where it's just like, girl, like, this is supposed to be a party. It's not supposed to be like, do less. Right. And it it reminds me too of the thing now where, you know, you do, you do, it's nice if you do a costume and like the celebrity, like as a regular person and the celebrity or something you dress as, Mm -hmm. the person whose character is sees it. Like if you're Buffy, you know, like Sarah Michelle Geller sees it. That's cute. You know, like I'm sure everyone who dresses Florence Pugh um, tagged her and is hoping she sees it. (laughs) Um, She sees them. Okay. And she's moving on. Uh, But, you know, like. Now it seems like a point of doing it so that you could tag the person so that they notice it. Mm. And then you get like a BuzzFeed spread or something, you know? Oh, yeah. What happened to pure innocent fun? It's <laughs> like everybody dressing up their kids in these costumes. I'm like, your child asked to be a fireman. Your child did not ask <laughs> no. to be Kate Blanchett in Tar. That's not what your child asked for. That's not what they asked for. Lewis might have asked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, speaking of Kim, again, um, once again, Tomb Raiding. Yes. She, she like, putting Michael Jackson's smooth criminal hat on her child with the makeup still on it from Michael when he wore it. Girl, stay out of people's crips. <laughs> yeah, we need to not let her she, buy these estate sales. No. She's coming in with a big basket and just, like, shoveling things in it. Well, her house know. in Calabasas is about to turn into the house on Haunted Hill. Okay, That's the spirits are coming. <laughs> no, my southern roots, the the lineage, the ancestors are speaking to me. Like I just something about that, like taking somebody's things like that, like a person who's passed mm. on, and playing with them, say mm. on the Met Gala red carpet, or playing with them, like giving them to your child when they have not even been washed because they're that valuable. Like that hat had not been cleaned because it's that valuable. I. Mm, I just Mess. don't plan those type of things. It's not, it's, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm superstitious. I'm like, mm, that's not good. Also, I've seen Tales from the Hood too many times. Like, I just, I yes. don't about things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Kim would be, honestly, Kim would be a great, like, um, white villain in one of the um, Tales from the Hood segments. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you think about horror movies? Honestly, I am still terrified by, um, the little tiny 
black dolls that chased that man in the that kitchen. That man, and killed yes, him. I mean, who was a sellout. Yes. Yes, and but, and also, um, I'll never forget the fact that like the white man in the film um, referred to them as nigglets. I'll never forget the little the tiny black life. people. That word has been stuck in my head since that. Movie. Yes, I was like, and... now that's a slur. I hadn't heard before. <laughs> I was like, now that's a new one. <laughs> that's a new one. <laughs> that's art. Um, lastly, Brittany, what were you for Halloween? Did you partake? I was not anything for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> I um. Me and my husband, we've been busy lately. We hadn't really been able to spend time together. Oh my god, I feel like this is such a. I'm like, I feel like a wife guy right now. So we <laughs> <laughs> went out for the day. Whenever we need to recharge together, we will mm-hmm. go out to eat, get a foot massage, and go to the movie. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's iconic. In that order, so that's what we did. Yeah. We uh, we went for a long walk and we got a foot massage. <laughs> then. And then we ate, and then we went home and went to bed. So I did not do anything. You know what? I love conversation and verbal elation, okay? You take that long walk (laughs) around the park after job. (laughs) It was giving, our our day was giving Lizelle an E-flat. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Who is Um, Joe Scott? Words in Halloween, volume one. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I'm not having a kid unless they want to dress up as Jill Scott in the number one ladies detective agency. Okay. Uh, iconic DVD yeah. cover. Yes. Yeah. Um, I did a very lazy costume. I dressed up as Freddy Krueger. Um, but I feel like, you know, even even a lazy costume is sort of better than um, some people's lazy costumes. Mm-hmm. You know? I mm-hmm. mean, we're not going to drag them this year. But because we've done it before, but you know, like the the gays putting on putting on like a like ears for a costume, like if you're supposed to be like a superhero or something, and then just shorts and nothing else, it's not giving anymore. You know, it's like we're we're constantly at odds with the um, you know the stereotype that we're so creative and smart, and then just constantly undermining it in public. And we're thrilled. And we are back with our favorite segment of the episode. Brittany, as our guest, you go first. Okay, so um, we all know that Elon Musk bought Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't tell at this point whether... I'm talking about the experience of using Twitter, whether or not it's changed Mm -hmm. that much or if I'm mostly just seeing people talk about what they heard is changing or anticipation over what could change or what's about to change. And I do anticipate that things will change. However, all I see every day is people talk about how they're about to leave Twitter. They're like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm not going to be here anymore. And then they show up the next day and they're tweeting like (laughs) it's their damn job. Like they literally need to punch in to a fucking clock to be here. And my thing is this. I see people there. They're like, I'm going to leave here. Y'all can find me at uh, Instagram. I'm going to leave here. We're going back to Tumblr. I'm going to tell you something right now. I don't know. Uh, I I see these kids and they're like, oh, I was on Tumblr 2012 to 2016, baby. I am your elder. I was on Twitter. I was on Tumblr, excuse me, in 2007. Okay. And I got off of it in about 2015. The things I have seen, and you joke about going back there. 
Like, that's going to be so much of a better place. Literally, people used to get up in arms. People used to get up in arms. People would be doxing each other. People were trying to go back in people's lineage to find out who their great auntie was. People were leaking addresses. The girls were always fighting on Tumblr in the nastiest, freakiest ways. And my thing is, Twitter, I wouldn't necessarily say is is better, but I think a lot of the things com- people complain about with regard to Twitter, um, aside from like, you know, like uh, aside from um, like racist and Nazis. violent trolls, right? Uh, yeah. A lot of the same in-group like ugliness and fighting happened on Tumblr. It happens on literally every social media platform. So I don't want us to get these rose-colored glasses looking back toward the past thinking that going to Tumblr is just going to solve everybody's problems because baby, it will not. I'm tired of people getting on Twitter every day to complain about how they're about to leave. Or rather, I don't mind people complaining actually, because like I complain about it too. I think complaining is fine. I think I'm just tired of people saying they're going to leave and then they don't leave. Do it. Don't do it. There is no try. Just leave one day and don't come back. Because there's plenty of people who I adore who left Twitter with no explanation. It just never came back. Maybe they'll tweet once a year. Like they're, I wrote a book. Good for you. That's great. I think that they're healthy and I aspire to be like them. I really, really do. Um, but I just don't want to see any of y'all who have been going on and on and on about how you about to leave the platform. I don't want to see y'all here in six months. <laughs> I don't want to see you here in six months. There's, also, I just there's something specific leave. about like going on about that kind of thing on Twitter where it's like, you clearly want... I'm sorry, attention. Like you want people yes. to respond and say something. Yeah. And it's like that, mm-hmm. but by, by the way, like we all want attention. I'm not saying that's not like a human need or whatever, but like you said, it's not hard to leave. Like you can just oh. exit, delete it from your phone. So yeah. there's yeah. no, like, it's not like you have to wait to be approved to leave or whatever. You know, no. it's like, or you could get, or you could get banned. You know, <laughs> like true. Banned, right. the cleanest leave of all. Yes. <laughs> the cleanest. And you know what it reminds me of too? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the era of, you know, like the, the, I, why I left Twitter article? Yeah. <laughs> I think Lindy West might've had one. I think other people, you know, it's just from people who it's just like, I've left Twitter and here's an, here's an essay about why I left Twitter. Like it, but like people, people loved it. Like there used to be the why left Buzzfeed thing. Yes. People want you to know why they left. And I think the actual thing is, as a person who tried to leave Twitter before, never announced it, um, but tried. They always drop the you can follow me here. The problem is all the engagement that you get on Twitter, and if you have like however many followers, like 500K or something like I used to have or something like, mm-hmm. all of those people are not going to follow you to Instagram and your no. next platform. So. Mm-hmm. No. That's the main problem, I feel like, why these people don't leave. They want them to follow, and then they're like, oh, two people follow me on my Instagram. <laughs> it's like, right. people don't cross-pollinate, okay? No, they like they're you where very they specific. see you. Right. It is, it is, it's your close friends who follow you on Instagram and Twitter, um, or, you know, like, but it's usually like one person wants to see your photos, or one person <laughs> likes your thoughts, <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. it. Rarely, like if you if you meet if you meet a random stranger who likes both, then maybe you're supposed to get married. (laughs) Although I will say, um, I I probably uh, for professional reasons will need to start a newsletter, and I will absolutely be posting on Twitter that people can follow me there. So when I do it, it's going to be different. Uh, But for everybody else, (laughs) um, for everybody else, but yeah, no, I'm just like I'm like do it, leave, don't leave, I don't care, do whatever you want to do. 
it could it's gonna yeah. it's probably gonna get worse on Twitter. And it is what it is. Like I might just be nosy and stick it out. I might not. We will see. But whether I stay or go, I'm not telling anybody. Especially because just I just, as you said, Louis. Like I just don't. I don't like. <laughs> I don't want to be seen as somebody who like made a big thing about leaving and then comes. I back. truly love the people like, who vanish. Okay, I yeah, love the it's people respectable. who. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the people who vanish, but then like also like. They'll tweet one thing or you go to the timeline, you're like, oh, they don't tweet forever, you know, but they're still around. I actually appreciate the people who sort of vanish, but when you go to their likes, they're still on it. They're still liking things, but, but they're like, I'm not engaging anymore. That, that's being good adult. I think it's, I think it's chic. So that's my Mm -hmm. thing. I think, I think that if you're going to complain every day, it's like people who get on, there's all these people who are like, oh, don't talk about yourself. Don't share the photos. And I'm like, I'm literally not seeing any of these things happen. I feel like you're just tweeting something to have something to say when you could just really say rest in peace and we can move on. Or sometimes people, they'll just be Twitter infighting and someone will get up in the morning and be like, today's going to be a hard day on here. I'm going to leave. 3 p.m. Where's their ass? Right back on fucking Twitter. So right. I don't need to fucking hear it. Save it. Keep when it. say things like that and then don't specify. It's like, are you under the impression you're better than Twitter? Like, give me a break. <laughs> it's just not true. <laughs> Who are you I impressing? know I'm not. Yeah, I'm right. a try hard ass bitch. And if I hadn't been on Twitter for the better part of the last decade, I would not have the same job. I wouldn't have some of my friendships. I wouldn't have the professional relationships and opportunities that I've been able to have. I'm not going to sit here and act like Twitter, even though it can be irritating. I'm not going to act like it hasn't been a really fantastic tool for me to be able to get things that I appreciate. We are not better than it, okay? James I'm Baldwin not. would be, if he were alive, James Baldwin would be on Twitter. Every having, day. Have, having, having takes where I'd be like, you know what? Let me put Giovanni's room away for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. At a certain point when you get old enough and you don't want to change your opinion about things, like we would be disappointed by a lot of people. Who, who would be on this platform, okay? Tupac would be um, very embarrassing Oof. on Twitter. Right I've never now. thought of that, that, about that before, but you did say something just now. I yeah. mean, I'm not saying I'm for sure that's oh. what would happen, but it's a possibility. Oh, I think, think about that. Marilyn Monroe on Twitter, okay? Right. Come on. No, see, actually, I think Marilyn Monroe would not be on Twitter. I think she actually, well, I think she'd be on there, and then I think she'd be one of the people that just like forgot about it and left. And then, yeah, like, right. It would not. And maybe her. sometimes for shits and giggles, she'd go through and she'd like messy stuff, and then that would be. Yeah, actually, Kim Kardashian has Marilyn's Twitter account. So, uh. <laughs> uh, uh, Lewis, what is your keep it this week? Uh, mine's going to be quick. Uh, I am just going to lament the death of uh, the Billboard Hot 100 because. Taylor Swift released the Midnight's album, which we talked about last week, and now she gets to be the top 10 on the chart. Yes, I'm aware it's an extremely popular album, and I'm aware that technically that means all these people are buying the single, whatever, and that, you know, but like still, like radio play is mostly about the, the main singles, like Anti Hero, and it just means the chart is like kind of meaningless now. I don't know. I, I once upon a time really valued what it meant to have a number one hit, and now that's shifted so much. Like, the idea that now Mar- Mariah Carey is guaranteed to have a number one hit every Christmas where before she was never in the running. The metrics have shifted. The uh, uh, What goes into the chart has shifted. And I just don't care anymore. And also, I'm a little sick of Taylor, Fit- Taylor Swift fans being like, we did it. We got the top 10. Yes, she's wildly popular. What? Like, what? Like, you're prote- it's like a Christian being like, yes, there's other Christians out there. Gentle fuck, we live in a Christian universe. Jesus. Yeah. I always feel that the top 10 should be songs that people are 
listening to. And I get that like Swifties are buying a ton of songs. Like, listen, I I bought the vinyl. Okay, I'm part of the problem. Yeah, right. I see. Uh, you. And I've and, you know, but wow. The single and everything counting for it still feels so weird to me because I feel like if a song is on the top 10 on Billboard, my cashier at Panera Bread should yeah, know this song. That is it correct. It should have been playing exactly. constantly and they should be sick of it by now. It should now. be unavoidable. You know? Yes. The top 10, like the songs are unavoidable. And for me, yes, these are widely popular and Swifties are streaming them in their homes. So if you ask anybody on the street – um, do you know Bejeweled? They'd be like the girl who lived in our car. Uh, yeah. Shout out to the Jewel I, song "Standing Still." By the way, I missed the early two thousands. Anyway. <laughs> that was a good song. <laughs> no, but I hundred percent agree. And also, there was the other thing too about like it's the first top ten that's all female. And oh, don't I'm even like, say that to me. And I'm and I'm like I'm like okay, Jack Atnoff wrote and produced every song on it, so it's also the first top ten. Um, where one producer produced every song on the top 10. Right. Anyway, um, you could have guessed that was my keep it. Ira, what's your keep it? My keep it is very, is like sort of sad. Um, my keep it goes to um, the star of Netflix's series Heartstopper, Kit Connor, literally having to come out as bisexual at oh. 18. Because people on Twitter accused him of queer baiting for not saying whether or not he was bi for playing a bi character on the show. What the fuck is wrong with people? Well, I, they must have expected him to be straight or something, right? Otherwise, why yeah. would they like harp on him so much? Anyway, not that that would make it excusable, but just this person is now in a completely uncomfortable position. He's 18 years old. And how can you not feel bad for this person? He's so sweet, and I feel like he's so sweet, and he's been so engaging with fans. And the thing that makes it kind of worse is that the entire series is about this. Right. Like, the whole point of it is about coming out on your own terms and mm. when it's time. And, you know, like, you shouldn't be forced to, like, do anything before you're ready to. And he literally just had to do that. And I think that there's a disconnect between him and, like, I don't know, like a straight actor playing a gay role. Like, he's not Eddie Redmayne in, um, you know, The Danish Girl or something, mm, you know? Like, he's not mm. Jared Leto playing a role, you know? He's not an actor trying to win an Oscar um, by playing an LGBTQ plus role, you know? Like, this is a kid playing a role, and it's, I don't know, I don't think, I don't know how you could care about any character's sexuality when they're 18 or whatever playing a role, you know? I think it's inappropriate. And I also think it's just like people, people, it's people feeling entitled to yes. have information about other people's lives. And, and, um, I don't know. I just, that's, that's, it makes me really sad. It's very disturbing. And I even just seeing the way people have treated Sean Mendes over the years, I will admit, I, I don't, I've never heard a Sean Mendes song. I, I don't know, um, what he sounds like or what he sings about, but I, unfortunately know you have, unfortunately you have, because they, they are at Panera. <laughs> my other caveat about a top 10 song is you either you you know everything about the song and you hear it all the fucking time or you hear the song all the fucking time but you also have no idea who sings it right right <laughs> then maybe that's sean mendes <laughs> but what i do know even though i don't know any of his songs i do know that that poor young man has had people hounding him for years about his sexuality um and my thought is is like 
it's just not like, I don't know. I, I, I can understand why people want to know if there are people in the public eye who are like them. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think that should ever override like somebody being able to keep their life for themselves and, and not feel so, um, yeah, I guess not feel so consumed. You should be able to have. It's entitlement. Some, yeah, it's absolutely entitlement. It's entitlement because there's also, I don't know, there's this weird thing too about this where it's, you want representation and feeling like you are connected to someone, but sometimes it jumps over to the level of like, like Annie Wilkes behavior from mm, misery mm-hmm. because it's like mm. if sean mendes is gay if this kit connor is bot it's like it doesn't mean he's gonna date you <laughs> yeah is that part of the right equation? it's like 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 him being queer all of a sudden doesn't right. mean that like it it improves your chances of being with that person i also think like to me what's weird is like this is a show we watched months and months ago um everybody generally liked it uh we put it away and now still he's being hounded by people who are like still obsessed with that moment or whatever. Or now that it's been months, they feel like maybe they can get him to respond to him or something. I don't know. It just feels like people inventing a conversation where there wasn't one. And mm-hmm. he's so surrounded by it. He's so bombarded with it. He then feels obligated to say something. When I just want to be, tell him it's like you didn't have to say anything. You know, like there's no – like the thing in, in his tweet where he's like, okay, fine, I'm out, is like I'm sorry someone tricked you into believing you had to do that. Exactly. Thank you to Brittany Luce for being here, the new host of NPR's It's Been a Minute. Uh, And thank you to Nina Haas for joining us. Uh, Let's keep it. We'll see you next time. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III... And Louis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for our production support every week. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.